Good morning. How's everyone doing? That's all right. How's everyone doing this morning? All right, y'all know. So I'm Pastor Joseph. For those who don't know me, one of the pastors here on staff, and I need you to talk back to me. I need you to smile at me. I need to see your beautiful faces. Thank you, Grayson, for dropping whatever you dropped over there. Everybody clap for Grayson. Real quick, clap for Grayson. Uh, I'm, I'm glad. Like we, I, I love the interaction, and I love to engage. I, I love to see all the faces I haven't seen in a while, the first-time faces. It's a beautiful thing for you to be here. If, it, or if you are a guest, we see you as gifts, and we are grateful for you. All right? Amen. And so for those that don't know, we're in this series called A Throne, A Scroll, A Lamb. Everybody say that. A Throne, A Scroll, A Lamb. Oh, my. Right? It gives you that Wizard of Oz kind of feel for me. Anyways, or the whiz, depending on the culture that you... You know, maybe. Uh, so unlocking Revelation. And so the goal for this, this year uh, is for us to walk through all the books in Revelation. And so we kind of jump out, jump back in, jump out throughout the year. This is our second time back in Revelation. And if you wasn't here on last week or you missed it, make sure you go back and watch uh, our brother James. He brought the word. He brought the heat. It was a lot of ouch moments for myself as far as misdirected worship and misdirected praise and me uh, allowing other things in my life to come up and sit on the throne that God is supposed to be sitting on in my life and how I can focus on different things. And for James, it was fantasy football. Uh, if you remember and how he brought the trophy up there that had my name on it. I know you didn't see it, but it did have my name on it, just so you know, because uh, I had it for two years. Um, I'm not bragging or anything. Uh, but make sure you go back and listen to that sermon because this is in connection. So this is almost like watching the end of, of a movie, and then now you got to go back to the beginning. So it's, it's definitely a real good sermon, so please do that. Uh, if you have any questions, we answer those in our podcast, Pastor Plex podcast. And so feel free to text this number throughout the sermon. It will be on the pages. Uh, we want your questions. It gives us something to talk about. It gives us something to engage and study even more if we need to. I personally... I don't have all the answers. Chris don't have maybe all the answers. We would do our best to seek the word and do the research that's needed. So if you have questions, feel free to do that. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you for letting me know that you're listening to me. Uh, for those that don't know, I grew up here in the Austin area on the east side of Austin, uh, more so St. John's. I went to school at Reagan High School, which is like, I don't even know what the, they changed the name to something else. But, uh, and that's where I went. And so my mother, crazy story, won her house in that neighborhood for a dollar. Right? There was this thing going on in the 90s, late 80s, 90s, where they would pull the name. She won the home for a dollar. Now, the, the trick to that, I guess, would be that it was a horrible home. It was a duplex. <laughs> like, there was holes in the walls and stuff. So you win it for a dollar, then you go in. Like, I can literally, I remember being six, seven years old, climbing through some of the holes in the walls and stuff. And so you, that's where you had to pay to get it fixed and repaired and everything. But it was a duplex. And so... We moved into the back once everything was fixed up, and she would rent out to our family and, and friends and stuff who needed a home to the point eventually she knocked out the wall of the duplex, and we just had this very long home. Took out one of the kitchens and turned the basement. That was a long hallway. She lived in the front, and my brothers and myself, the four boys, we lived in the back, in the back. and it's like we had our own house. It was great. Uh, and one of the cool things about it is that because she was, it's, it wasn't really that far, but because she was in the front, it was easy for me to pretend like anytime she called me, I didn't hear her. <laughs> All right, so I'd hear her, for those that don't, my nickname is Joey to my family, and so she'd yell out, Joey, come here. And I can pretend like I didn't hear her because the house was so big, I was like, ah, 
I ain't going to do it. I don't want to do it. And ironically enough, like, she was the authority. I was her son, the person that's supposed to be listening to what she's saying. And I would ignore authority because I was like, ah, I'm my own boss when I feel like doing whatever it is she's calling me. Because it's nothing. She's just going to ask for the remote or ask me to change the channel. It's going to be something crazy that she can do herself. This is what I'm saying in my mind, right? And eventually she'd come to the back and say, did you hear me calling me, calling you? No, ma'am. And I can lie, but, but a lot of us, this is what we do, right? Maybe it's just me with my mother, but some of us, when the boss is gone at work, uh, you know, the atmosphere of the job, the office space is different when the boss is gone. Chris and Grayson were both gone this week. I've been chilling. <laughs> I'm just saying, I've been working, I've been working, I've been preparing for today, but they were both gone for real. So it's, it's different when the boss is gone. You, you can act different, or, or maybe it's, it's the, those who are drivers who, who the speed limit is for those who don't really know how to drive. Yeah, yeah see, it got, got some of you, those, what do they call it, the California stop, California roll, whatever it is, through the stop sign where you don't really stop, you just look. And the, the only time you adhere to the law is when there's a law enforcement around you, right, where you say, ooh, the cops, slow down, slow down, slow down. Right? It's easy to do that, and this is, this is where we are. And, and so unless that law enforcement, unless that authority is in place and, and they're there, then we don't really kind of have to listen, that proximity to who we are. And so my challenge for us today is to really talk about Jesus' worthiness to judge the world. And this idea that we resist his worthiness to judge the world because we're not in close proximity. Just like me and my mother, it was easy for me to ignore her because she was further away. And so this resistance happens because of the lack of relationship, the lack of, the lack of proximity or time with God. And so I've come, come up, and this, I'm sure there's more, we can do more, but just three things that we resist Jesus' worthiness to judge this world, his authority, his power over it. The first one is because we don't see his judgment. You know, it hurt my heart this week to see just the things going on with the murders in, in the Asian community and how that affects. And a part of me is like, God, like, why do you let things like that happen? Like, that's horrible. Like, it hurts. And like, judge now. I need you to do something now. I need you to move now. And the other people say, well, the guy's going to jail. That's not enough. And so we get mad because... We don't see the judgment, or it's not the judgment that we want to see, how we want to see it. Another reason we resist is this idea of we got this. Case study number one, uh, I have a daughter that is two years old going on, I would say 13. I wouldn't say 30-something yet, but I would just say 13 right now. And she sings this song, uh, Daddy Finger, Daddy Finger. Some of you got kids. You ever heard that? And where are you? So you start singing. She says, she says, daddy finger, daddy finger, what are you doing? Right? She remixed it. And when we're driving in a car, she starts singing that. She remixes it. And she says, daddy, your turn. So I have to sing back what I'm actually doing. So I'm driving, I'm driving in the car. Right? That's what I do. I sing to my daughter. And she'll go to everybody, go to my wife, Sierra. Then she'll go to J4. And then if we get quiet, she'll yell at us and say, okay, my turn, Kylie's turn. And so we either have to say collie finger, we have to say daughter finger, we have to say sister finger. One of those three she'll reply to. One she will not reply to in the song, because it's in the song. They say baby finger. We, 
she's not a baby anymore. That's what she tells us. I'm not a baby. I'm not a baby. And so we know if we say baby finger, the song stops. <laughs> right? So it's like, Daddy's like, ooh, I don't want to sing this song. All right, I say baby finger, baby finger, what are you doing? And what, this, what she does, first time ever, this, this, this past week, we're heading to the San Antonio. She goes, I am not a baby. I'm a big girl. <laughs> That's what she did. But the, the, while we laugh at that, the thing is, this is what we do in culture. We teach that. We got this. Be the big girl. You can handle this. Don't ask for help. If you can't do it on your own, then, it don't need, then you don't deserve it, which is counter to what Christ teach and the Word of God teach that he gives us grace. He gives us mercy. And that the only thing we have to do is accept it. We got to ask for it. That it's okay not to be the best because he's the best. And so we got this. I'm my own judge. But society teaches us differently. And lastly, um, we worship finite things. We worship finite things. Remember last week, again, if you didn't get the sermon, you need to go listen to it because this is a continuation to it. But this idea of me making my own makeshift throne in my life and putting my own makeshift God in there, and it's different for everyone. For James, it was fantasy football. For me, it could be some games sometimes, or it could be my wife. It could be my kids. It can be my job. It can be school. For some people, it's the STEMI. They even gave me the nickname, your stimulus check, for those who don't know what that is. <laughs> You're waiting for that. Like we, we, we create these own gods in our life, and we put them on the forefront of who we are. Some of the ways you can measure if there are other gods in your life or if there's other things that you're worshiping is look at where your time is going, looking where your gifting, your talent is going, and looking where your treasure, your money is going. You look at those, you'll see where or who or what the gods are in your life. Because you, we, we realize that, or you do realize that you are a creature designed or created to worship. Everyone in here is, was created to worship. And so if Sunday is the only time that you're worshiping God, then that means the other six days of the week you're worshiping something else. That the other times in your life you're giving something your worship, something that is only designed for God, that praise is only designed for God. And so that's where we're going uh, on this morning for me. It's a lot of ouch moments. And so if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? And it's okay. If it hurts, it's okay. I understand. It hit me first before it's going to hit you. So if you pray with me as we dive into this text, Father God, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. You are an awesome God that is worthy to be praised. And I pray that as we uh, read more and learn more about you, that you would draw us closer to you, that we would desire to be in proximity of he that has authority over us, he that knows us, he that created us. God, you know what's best for us. And so I pray that you will begin to touch our hearts, our minds, allow anything not like you here on this morning be removed. All these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the fifth chapter of Revelation. The fifth chapter of Revelation. And so it was a beautiful thing. I was talking to somebody after first service. She said, man, it's just, I've always been scared of Revelation since we've been going through the series. And up until this point, it's just like, I love it now. And the connection, it just hits differently this time. And it's been like that for me. It's like every time I read each chapter and I begin to study, it's like, man, I love this more and more and more. And so as we jump into this, hopefully it helps paint this picture 
of why Jesus deserves and he's worthy to judge and why he's worthy of the praise and why we should give him more of us in our relationship with him. So look at verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So real quick test, who's seated on the throne? God. God the Father is seated on the throne, right? And so in his, God the Father is a spirit. So what that means, if you read this, God the Father doesn't really have hands. It's a symbol. It's symbolic. And so you have to understand when you're studying this book, there's a lot of symbols. And so you can't take everything as, oh, right hand. So he has five fingers. No, it's not like that. What the right hand represents is authority. It represents power. It represents control. It represents wisdom. This right hand that he's talking about, this scroll, that's, this is what it represents. And so when he says he's seated and in his right hand, there was a scroll written within, everyone say within, within. and on the back. That means it's full of a lot of stuff. But one of the things I want to make sure you understand when you're reading through this chapter that the focus isn't on the contents within the, the scroll. The focus is on uh, who is worthy to unlock, to break the seals and do all that. Right. So 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 right now we're not focused on what's in it. The focus right now is on who's worthy of opening it. And so he was seated on the throne, the scroll written within on the front and the back. And just just so you know, in, in Roman law, the, the the reason you would write on the front and the back, because usually you don't is one. It was something important. That's why it's sealed with seven seals Two, it was a will and a will like Someone died, and it's like, hey, this is my last will and testament. I want you to do these things. There's an inheritance that comes within this, right? And so when you roll on front of back, that's what it represents. And so the picture that's being painted, the symbol that we are, are looking to get from this is that, that God has something else for us, something more that's written in this, the history of the world that he knows about already because he created it. But again, the content isn't what's important, right? It's who's worthy of opening it. It says, and I saw a strong, or your Bibles may say uh, mighty, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? Everyone say worthy. worthy. All right. For me, and this is just me, when I was looking at this, I was like, man, so he saw this angel, and it wasn't just a regular angel. It was a mighty, strong angel. And he's reading or calling, proclaiming out this, who's, who's worthy to open it? And so strength or how mighty you are, how good you are, or something, has nothing to do with your worth. This is what he's saying. So you got this dude that's strong, but he's not even worthy enough because it's not just about looking good. It's, just not, it's not about just looking the part. And so I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or look into it. It's important for us to understand right here that no created being can open this scroll. Only the uncreated can. That's God. And I began to weep loudly. In this moment, I I believe that John is weeping because uh, he understands that judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous happens with the the, the, the the breaking of these seals, the opening of this scroll. And he's crying because no one has come forth to say that I can open this. No one is standing up to say that I can open this, which means that he is stuck in a postponed state, that heaven doesn't happen, that none of these things happen if this scroll doesn't open. 
It has to open, and so he's hurting, he's crying. He wants the prize that comes from Jesus defeating death, the crucifixion. He wants heaven. It's like, if, he, if no one can open this, I'm stuck right here. I'm stuck. He said, I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. Uh, remember, the focus isn't on what's in it, but who can, who is worthy of opening it. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, there are 24 elders representing Old and New Testament uh, we talked about. And he said to him, dude, chill out. <laughs> Why? Because his focus was so much on the throne that he didn't even see what was right in front of him this whole time. He said, relax. We're here for a reason. And look what he says. He says, weep no more. Behold, pay attention. Because even though he saw the throne, he didn't see what was in front of him. He said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is an Old Testament phrase. If you're taking notes, you might want to write it down. You go read it, Genesis 49, where it talks about the line of the tribe of Judah. Then it says the root of David. You can look at Isaiah and Jeremiah. This is Old Testament messianic titles for Jesus. It says he has conquered. What has he conquered? He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He conquered death. Jesus did it. And he's always been there. And to me, it just baffles me that John is in this room, in this stone room, and he's surrounded by the singing and the songs going on that he missed Jesus right there in the center, right there ready to mediate on our behalf. It says, so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. First point, real quick, Jesus conquered to open the scroll. Jesus conquered to open the scroll. He did it. He did what he did so he can get to this point. He died for me so he can get to the points where he can open this scroll. He rose and defeated death so he can get to this point to open the scroll. He was beat so he can get to this point to open the scroll. He was focused so much on what was to come that he did what he did for you, for me, for each one of us. Right where we at. My, uh, my daughter, this past weekend too, she, she was an eventful weekend. Uh, she learned, she's learning how to ride a bike. I've been teaching her for a while, and I get frustrated in teaching her because she, she just wants to break. She goes backwards. Like, oh, they can't get the forward motion, like the forward. And I mean, she's too, come on, you got to do it. You got to do this. Like I said, we get in this mentality, you can do this. And, and so I told her, I put a prize in front of her basically and said, hey, look, if you go forward, you can make it to this red square. It's like from here to the back of the church. I'm going to buy you some ice cream. She said, I get some ice cream? I said, whatever ice cream you want. I'm going to buy you some ice cream. And I was like, let's go. And so she's moving forward, and she'll break. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I get frustrated. I want to quit. But I said, no, keep focusing. And so she starts moving forward again, moving forward. She starts getting it. She starts getting the rhythm. I said, don't stop. Keep pushing. Don't stop. Keep pushing. And she gets it. We get to the end. She said, as soon as we get to that, there's a, a blue square. She said, daddy, I get the ice cream. I said, you get the ice cream. She wanted the prize. And, and the good thing about this is that Jesus conquered everything so that I can have the prize. Y'all get that? He, he was the one enduring and pushing and fighting so that I could get the prize. Like, he did it for me. He, was, he, he did it for, so I can have access to God. That's why, so I can have access to heaven. He did the work so I can stand on the podium and say, oh, look at me. I get to walk in his victory, his overcoming, his conquering. It's a thing, amen. Y'all all right? All right, y'all still awake. That's a good thing. 
Uh, look at verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures. And so, again, he, this is why he told him to stop crying. He said, look, he says, he says, among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Wait a minute. So he describes Jesus as, remember what? A lion. But when John actually sees Jesus, he sees a almost opposite. You got the lamb, sacrificial, meek, gentle, just kind of this like creature that you don't think like, eh, I don't know. That's, that's my Jesus, this humble guy. And then he describes him as this lion, aggressive power, king, when you think of the lion, right? It's like, oh, if I'm John, I'm looking up there it's like, that's the guy? But as we go more into it, you see more. He says he's, he sees a lamb standing, which means this lamb is alive. But then he also describes it as though, though he's been slain. So the picture that's being painted, you remember when Jesus presented himself to the disciples after uh, he, he rose from the dead. He still bore the marks of the crucifixion. Right. And so here we are years later. And he still has those marks. That's what it is. This is what he's seeing. He's seeing it's like the lamb's alive, but it looks like it's been killed. So he's wearing the crucifixion marks as a badge of honor. Not in the sense to say that, look what you did to me, but in the sense of, look what I did for you. It's a badge of honor. He's saying, like, I want you to see that every time you look at me, I want you to know that I died for you. I did this for you, and I want you to remember it. I want you to see it. I want you to walk in that type of victory. Now look what it says he looks like, though. Not just no regular sheep. This that, that king sheep right here. Look what he says. He says he has seven horns with seven horns. The horns represent kingship, represents power. But there's seven, and we know from in the past that seven is a number of completion, fulfillment, right? Perfect, perfection. And so he's walking in that, and, and, but it's also all-powerful. So this tells us that, that God is omnipotent, right? Unlimited power is what he has because he has these seven horns. And then it says he has seven eyes, full of wisdom. Eyes represent discernment, knowledge, but a complete, perfect, omniscient. He's perfect. He knows everything. And so it's a different sheep. This ain't no regular sheep, y'all. I'd be scared if I saw this sheep, seven horns, seven eyes. There's something serious, with which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He knows he has all power. That's what we see in this throne room. But also what is going on is this, uh, this heavenly um, coronation. You see, John didn't know, but I believe that everyone knew why they were there in the throne room. Jesus standing in between the creatures and the elders and everyone being presented that something was about to happen. Remember, he came to conquer. He already did it. They knew why they were there. They knew why they were singing. This is a, he's about to get the power to, to execute the authority. This is a, a king. Like He's about to be king. This is what it's showing us. He did all that for this point. And in verse 7 says, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Simple enough, Jesus took the scroll from the Father. What does this mean? Well, we see one that is victory through sacrifice. We see two, though, that there's a passing of the baton, the torch of him saying, Jesus, now you have the power to execute judgment, grace, mercy. Now you have the power to do all these things. He's given them this power in this moment. 
He's able to do that because he is perfect in all his ways. I'm not perfect. I'll admit to that. And I can confess that there have been times I, I find my lack of perfection most in my parenting. Especially with my relationship with my son. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, and I know it's my fault that he's inherited. I almost wore a shirt that says, I'm fluent in sarcasm today. Uh, but I was like, ah, it's going online and stuff. I don't know how people would think of me, so I didn't wear it. But my son is also fluent in sarcasm as well. And it gets him in trouble a lot. And I remember one time he did something, and I, y'all, yeah, went off on him. And since that, I, I had never gone off like that on my son before in my life. And to the point to where God said, you need to go apologize to your son. Afterwards, I said, no, I don't. <laughs> what you think this is, me apologizing to a seven-year-old kid? You guys to be out of your mind. And this is how I talk to God, right? This is, maybe this is just me. And he said, you need to go apologize to your son. I said, oh, okay. And I prayed a little bit more, talked to God, and, and, and I knew I was wrong in how I corrected my son, but I didn't want him to know I was wrong, right? Because that's what we do as, as parents, or that's what I do sometimes. I don't want, he never needs to know that I messed up. I got to be perfect. And God was saying, no, you don't. This is the first time you've ever done this. I created you. I'm perfect. You're not perfect. And so I literally went to my son, and I got on one knee, and I pull him close, and I'm hugging him, and I'm literally got tears in my eyes as I'm apologizing, not because I don't want to do it, because I know I was wrong. And I know he needs to see this picture, this image of you don't have to be perfect, son. While I have expectations for you, I know you're not going to get it right every time. And I'm looking at my son, and I apologize, and I told him, I said, I love you with everything in me. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I messed up. Daddy shouldn't have yelled like that. And I, as a father, have to do better. And I didn't point the blame and say, but you or anything like that need to do this. I didn't do that. He needed to see that daddy was wrong in that moment. And so when I stood up and he went to go play and do whatever, and God said, see, what you have to understand is that I'm perfect. He said, when I sent my son to take the scroll and give him authority, and I'm asking you to be close enough to him so that you can not make those type of mistakes. Because the closer you are to what has authority over you, the better relationship you have, you tend to listen to it more. You tend to be stimulated by it more. You you tend to be drawn to its ways more. And so if it's uh, music that draws you in, then the music has influence on you. If it's a person that you're drawn to, then the person has the influence. Jesus is the one that needs to have the influence. Amen? Amen. We're still okay? Y'all saying ouch in your minds? I am. Uh, Maybe it's just me. Uh, Look at verse 8. We're almost done. This is uh, the product or the result of him taking the scroll. And so again, so we're in the throne room. Jesus is standing in between the creatures and the elders and the angels. And Jesus just took the scroll from the Father, the passing of the torch, the passing of authority, the passing of power. And so now this is the result of that. He says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Immediately, they begin to worship. Because he was worthy of worship. And we know that he's God because the only, uh, he, God is the only person that can take 
the only spirit that can take worship. If angels, if someone went to bow down to angels who read in the Bible, read through the text, that immediately said, no, 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 stand up, get up, get up, don't worship me. So because he's accepting of worship, that's what lets us know he is God and that he's worthy of our praise. And so immediately after he took it, they begin to worship. And so I, I want to ask you or, 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 or give you this question as we continue to this, what prompts your worship? Do you need to be like, like warmed up to worship God? Is worship a preference? Because when I think about worship, worship is more than just a song. It's a lifestyle. Worship is more than just communication with the person next to me and how I talk about God. Worship is a lifestyle. It's something I do at work. It's something I can't turn off. It's who I am. Remember, we were created and designed for worship. And so if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something. And so immediately they see this. They knew why they were there. So what prompts your worship? And so it says, each holding, uh, each holding a harp, a golden bowls of incense. This incense represents, it tells us, which are the prayers of the saints. It represents prayers. But it uses the incense. This is an incense. It's an old, look in the Old Testament and Psalms. It tells, it's talking about just this sweet smell that the, our prayers are to God. He wants our prayers. And what, it's not saying that the elders are, are mediating the prayers because remember in the position of everyone. Who's in between them? God. God. I mean, Jesus, God, the son. He's in between everyone and everything that's in the room. And so the prayers go through him. He's the mediator. And so we're not praying to the saints. We're not praying to to the creatures. We're not praying to the angels. Jesus Christ is is the mediator for this. He's the in-between. He's the go-between. And he's saying the prayers are a beautiful thing. Verse 9 says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, Jesus Christ is worthy, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. Him being slain is the, the cost, the price of our redemption. In chapter 4, the song that is being song, sung is the song of creation. In chapter 5, the song that is being sung is a song of redemption. And we see that we're redeemed through the payment that Jesus Christ paid, the cost of his blood, the scope we see is, and by your blood, you're ransomed people for God. That's the purpose from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What this mean, means is that what Christ did on the cross gave us immediate access to the throne Because God couldn't see us like we are. He can't see us like we are. He can't see the sin. And so because of what Christ did, we're covered by his blood, the ransom that he played for the redemption of our souls. And so what he did is give us access to God. What he did on the cross gave us access to, to the throne room. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures And the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And what is he going to receive? He's going to receive seven things, that number of completion. One, power. Two, wealth. Three, and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Completion. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, 
and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Last verse says, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Every creature worshiped the Father and the Son. Quite simply enough, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is. He's the one worthy to open the scroll. He's worthy to judge because power has been given to him. It's been passed to him. He is the executor over the estate now. God has given him access to judge the unjust and the just, the righteous, the unrighteous. And we're called to worship him with our lives. We're called to worship him in our relationships. We're called to worship him, not just on Sundays, not just on Mondays, but every day. God wants access to us. He does. He doesn't just want a part-time you. He wants you full-time. And he wants you all the time. And all that you do. And you're saying, well, how can I do that? There are many, many different ways when, through your prayer, through your Bible study, through your talking about who God is. Because the reality of it is you talk about the things that excite you. Case study number two for me. I, uh, so there's this special candy. Not, it's not special candy, but I like certain candies. And one of the candies, y'all heard of trolleys? They're like the worms, sour worms or something. They're like gummy worms kind of thing, but they're sour. Well, I like the egg versions of those. And they only come, like, they're seasonal, and they come in the little packages. And So I ordered me, I didn't know that five, it was cheaper. So I just ordered a five-pound bag off Amazon. <laughs> I didn't know it was, I mean, I, I think five pounds, you know, you work out, you're like, ah, that's nothing. Five pounds is like jelly beans. There's a lot of jelly beans, y'all. <laughs> And they was like, and I ordered it on like Friday, and they said, well, we'll be here in a week. I'm like, ah, I wanted it sooner. And then, then some pop, notification popped up, and it said something was being delivered. I said, what my wife done ordered? And I looked, I said, oh, my jelly beans. <laughs> and I got excited about my jelly beans, y'all. And they came on yesterday, and they weren't supposed to come to next Saturday, and I got excited that they came early. This is what I'm trying to get you to understand is the excitement, the laughter, the joy I got from just some candies that I'm not going to even eat a lot. I don't even eat a lot of candy. I just got it because it was cheaper and I wasn't thinking of five pounds. But I got excited that it came early. Excited. Like I was genuinely excited. And God says, you see how excited you are? He said, you see the external reaction to a piece of candy that's temporary, finite. And he, he, he he, he said, I want you to have that and more for this infinite. Because what we do, we, we think about heaven and how I was like, I'm just called to worship. I was like, right, we're going to worship in heaven. And, and James said this last week about singing the same song over and over and over again. But we, we've conditioned ourselves to worship finite things, and we don't understand what it means to worship an infinite God who will never really grasp everything about him, even being with him for eternity. And so for some people, when they think, oh, well, I can't wait to go golfing in heaven, and we think about these finite things, no, we get to worship God forever, an infinite God, one that we'll never really have a full understanding of for the rest of our lives. He said, I need you to have external joy for me. When you think about me, I need you to smile. 
When something, when, when, when you see me doing things in your life, I need you to externally say hallelujah. It's okay to talk about God. It's okay to love God and show your love for him because we do it with our love for everything else. Y'all, I even, I, 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 when people, I saw somebody, I was walking around the, uh, the lake yesterday and I saw him and he had his dog. And what is, I said, oh, you got a dog? I said, I got a dog too, look. And I showed him a picture, a picture of my dog. And I don't think I love my dog, but I be trying to show him off all the time. <laughs> but we get excited about these things, but then when it comes to our relationship with God, God gets this part-time praise, this, this internal, he's, God is only internal. No, we get to talk about God. We get to tell people and be excited about who God is in our life. We do. And so my challenge, my question for you this morning is, will you worship God? If you was here last week, this is the exact same slide that James put up on his. Exactly. Like I copy paste. <laughs> but this is a series when, when you understand unlocking the, the, the throne, the scroll, and all that. When we look into Revelation, what is it talking about? It's, it's this idea of worship and God's authority. This idea of this is who God is. This is who Jesus is or should be in our life. And that I'm no longer going to try to make my own throne. I'm no longer going to allow myself to get caught up in uh, or distracting what, what my relationship with Christ should look like. I'm not going to allow my relationship with God to be diluted by everything going on in the world because it's so easily, it, it can happen so easily. I'm guilty of it. It's easy for me. We worship in this morning. And my wife, and I, I see somebody walk, I say, what's their name again? She looked at me, she said, I'm trying to worship. I just did it. I was like, you're right. Focus, 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 focus. And we can get so distracted so easily. And God says, I need you to focus on me. It happens with your proximity to me, your closeness to me, your relationship with me, you learning more and more about me. Check. There we go. Oh, you got to take off the reverb. <laughs> Unless you want me to sing, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, in Jesus' name. And so when Christ died on the cross, uh, his purpose tonight, he, he told his disciples, look, he said, he said, my body is broken for you. And he took the bread and he broke it. And so you can get out your communion. We're not going to eat it quite yet. I'm going to take some time, but the reason he, this is the reason he did it, to, the, to get to this point. To get to this point where he's conquering sin and he conquered Satan and he's about to conquer death. Right? He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for you. He did it for me. And so what I want to do right now, or I want, what I want you to do is take about 30 seconds, confess and repent, ask yourself the question of who sits on my throne right now in my life? And ask God to remove those distractions and those things that are sitting on the throne in your life. When, and it's not even the throne. It's a throne that you created in your life. So take about 30 seconds right now. Then we're going to pray and we're going to take communion. But take about 30 seconds. Just ask for God to, to, to 